On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, hello, and welcome to another episode of Mixtape, Mixtape Memories. Memories. I'm Matt Hart Spade. And I'm Jenners. And today we have a special guest, Bill Paris from Brooklyn Vegan. How you doing, Bill? I'm doing great. How about you? Uh, good, all things considering. You know. <laughs> right? I know. Sure. I think everything that, that we say these days in regards to that sort of stuff, things that you're looking forward to in the future, there's just that invisible asterisk, you know, yes. by everything. Exactly. Yes, I know. I feel like there's so many memes about how people start their emails these days. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, hey, how are you doing? Are you okay? Hope yeah. this finds you well. Yeah. I know. Like, how has it been going for you through the pandemic? It's going all right. I mean, as far as uh, as my job with Brooklyn Vegan, it, that part doesn't really change too much because I've worked from home. The entire time that I've that I've worked there, I live by myself, so I don't have to, you know, worry about uh, other people who have been places that I don't know where they've been in my mm. apartment. It's just, uh, you know, I haven't gone to see a show in a year, which is has to be the longest I've gone since I started going to see shows. So, yeah, I was gonna say because I mean, how many on average were you seeing pre-pandemic? At least a few a week, no? Yeah, uh, you know, like especially. If it was this time in a normal year, like in March, when all the bands are touring around South by Southwest, you could mm-hmm. it could be five shows in a week or something. Uh, but yeah, average probably two to three a week, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, and have you like checked out any virtual stuff like at all? I you know I watch the occasional thing if there's if there's an artist that I like that I see is doing something. I'll watch that. You know, I watched a couple of the the Ben Gibbard ones when he was doing like almost nightly. You know, right. uh, I'll check I'll check in with some other stuff, but not not too much. You know, I'm spent more time like revisiting like TV shows and stuff like that than you know. For me, like I don't uh, uh, watching a live show on on your laptop or on even on your TV is just not the same as is like actually going. So it, it doesn't quite have the same appeal to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think A, I have kind of Zoom and, and, and just web burnout from viewing uh, and watching various performances. But yeah, it's not the same. I think, you know, I've realized this obviously over the course of the last year, but I think it really struck me a few weeks ago. I purchased the Mogwai live stream around their new album. I've seen Mogwai 20 times through the years. To watch it on a screen is just, I mean, it just paled in comparison. It was terrible. You know, I mean, terrible in comparison, just that you can't be in the moment, yeah. you know? There's yeah. just something you can't ca- um, capture with, in a virtual way that you can when you're actually at the show and you can actually feel the music hit you. <laughs> For like sure. Everything that the show brings to it with the production. But I feel like it's interesting how some venues have, like, 
dealt with the issues and trying to survive and stuff. So, and like, you know, you mentioning that the Brooklyn Vegan South by Southwest showcase, they like built a mohawk in a virtual space. I think that's yeah. cool. You know, Elsewhere did that too. They built Elsewhere into like a virtual space. Well, I, did, I didn't actually check that out. They, they actually did that. It was... Yeah, but supposedly like they, they like hired somebody to like build it in Minecraft. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and so it like kind of created this like, you kind of felt like you were at the venue. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. And they really, I'm kind of impressed with how they like really built that into a business and even struck a deal with Twitch now mm -hmm. for that. Oh, I didn't so. know that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So, you know, it's kind of interesting to see how people are like taking advantage of like this new medium that's out there and using it as like a revenue stream. With this podcast, I feel like it's kind of fun because we're like really going back to like the more bare bones days and talking about like mixtapes and stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do you have like mixtape memories? I do. You know, uh, I, I was a big mixtape person. I could see you being a very good uh, curator yes. of the mixtape. I, d I was definitely probably a little too far into like, I was trying to I, teach is not the right word, but like, uh, you know, I had like a mission with my, with my mixtapes and, uh, you know, I was, it definitely was not like trying to think of like a DJ set where, you know, people are dancing or I don't, I was probably a little too highbrow with them, which, you know, when it comes to, you know, everybody made mixtapes for somebody that they liked or something. And uh, yeah. I was never very successful on, on that regard. <laughs> <laughs> but I made, I made a lot. And I, I also, like, uh, would make them for, like, bars and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Didn't you make uh, stuff for Snackies? Yeah. There, there was a, uh, a restaurant bar in Williamsburg that opened in, like, 2002. And... I used to make mix, it was mix CDs because it was just in the CDR era. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But I, I made mix CDs for them until they, until their CD player died. And then we sort of switched to an iPod and I programmed their iPod up until they closed, which was about a year ago. Mm. And it was, it was like the old school scroll wheel. Oh, I love you that. Know, <laughs> one, 160 gig iPod. <laughs> didn't you recently find one of those of your own i did i don't remember what i, I saw was that looking... on social media somewhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was i was going through a closet looking for something oh you know what i think i was probably looking for a box of photos to find something old for you guys for the site and i didn't and i pulled out a box and it was a box of cassettes actually mm. uh, mostly like promo cassettes and uh, a few I don't know what they were, but in there was a, uh, yeah, a, a big scroll wheel iPod that I found the cord to somewhere and uh, powered it, powered it up and it still works. I haven't listened to it, oh, but yeah, I, po I, I posted an Instagram photo and I think it's got pulps, his and hers in, yeah, the, uh, in the cover flow. So, oh man, I remember when that first came out, one of my coworkers at the time, like had one and like. When I saw it, I was like, what the hell is that? Because <laughs> I feel like at that point, like, I don't even remember what, like, music players were out, but, like, they were kind of janky. They were very janky. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I feel like in college, I had one of those, like, very early models of MP3 player that just, 
I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It just it wasn't it. But then once once the iPod came out, it kind of obviously it changed everything dramatically. Totally. I mean, yeah. now it's like our phones. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. But do you remember Zune? I, I... <laughs> sure. Who, do, who doesn't? Who doesn't remember Microsoft's uh, brown? Uh, play, you know, native player. Yeah. Um, they tried. Failed. They did try. It was a good effort. <laughs> I had a friend who really defended the Zune, and like up until they they stopped like making the software for it, he was just like, "This is still the way to go." You know, like I'm gonna. <laughs> All my money's on Zune, and he probably ended up buying the uh, whatever that Neil Young uh, Pono was that what it was called the thing oh, that looked like yeah it looked like yeah. a it looked like a Toblerone. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> God, that totally I haven't thought about that in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was wondering what your thoughts are going back to cassettes on kind of this cassette resurgence, if you will. I mean, it's not this massive resurgence, but to some degree, there's this resurgence and um i guess i was just wondering what your thoughts were and um i mean obviously the audio quality is terrible compared to you know digital format and vinyl but um do you miss maybe the sense of like that little piece of memorabilia that little Mm. collector's item not really (laughs) that's fair (laughs) i'll say a like i'm not sure the cassettes are any worse than then whatever the bitrate is for Spotify, you know, the average Spotify user, uh, I think it's less than we think it is. And definitely, you know, like I still get, uh, like I still use a lot of MP3 stuff because I'm like, I listen to a lot of stuff offline or, you know, and I'll still get sent stuff that's like 160, you know, K, which is not, which is not very good. No. I have fond memories of cassettes. I have fond memories of mixtapes, but the cassette as a purchased format just seemed like a waste to me. Mm-hmm. They, they would melt, they would break, they would get stuck in your car stereo. Mm-hmm. They were only ever purchased out of desperation for me. <laughs> like, I feel like it was if, if I couldn't, you know, when I was a kid, like a teenager, I would buy it if I couldn't find it in any other format. Mm-hmm. Or you were at a record store cutout bin where it was for 99 cents and he's like, oh, I can have sure. this for the car mm-hmm. or a truck stop. <laughs> truck stop. And you're, you're on like a road trip and you need something new and here's this, uh, you know, Conway Twitty or Foreigner record and you're like, <laughs> what the hell, I'll buy this, you know? But mm-hmm. it's like the most disposable medium and like disposable because it breaks and you end up having to throw it away. And, uh, exactly, yeah, yeah. But I... I went home for Christmas uh, to my parents' place a few years ago, and uh, we had parked the car in the garage, and there was this gigantic wooden crate, like huger than a Coleman cooler, probably four feet long and two feet deep and two feet tall. And my parents were like, all your cassettes are in there. And I'm like, what cassettes? Like, well, when we emptied out like your car when you moved to New York and, and your other stuff, we just threw it all in there. And I was like, like that whole thing is full of cassettes and I, and I like opened it up <laughs> and there was probably 400, 500 cassettes like oh, wow. in there. All of like really weird, like promo things of records that I don't remember. Like Paul Rutherford, the guy who just danced in Frankie goes to Hollywood. I had his solo album. <laughs> like that was on top there. That's what I remember. And a lot of other junk, but no, I have a, I have no nostalgia for cassettes beyond mixtapes. 
but cool if other people want to buy it. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we just did a post on Brooklyn Vegan where I think it was uh, Nirvana's in utero. They like somebody did like a small run and, and they sold out in like 20 seconds or something. I saw that it was like, I think it was a blue cassette or something. Then they did a different mm-hmm. color or something like that. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of coming back. Um, but I think, it, I think it's like a nostalgia thing, right? Like people are just kind of going back to kind of old media. I don't know that anyone's really going back to CDs. Maybe it's too soon. <laughs> Maybe they never will. But like, yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't know if there's like a. Maybe there's not a nostalgia element with CDs. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess they still sell CDs, but they do. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not a dead media. Yet. But I mean, you know, people have that feeling with vinyl, and that's never. That's the thing that's never died, but it has like dips and that you know. Yeah. Highs and lows. So where did you grow up? You said you went back home. I grew up in West Virginia in the sort of uh, southeastern part of the state, a town called Lewisburg, West Virginia. Oh, cool. And when did you move to New York? 1995. So like what brought you to the city? I was finishing up college and I worked for my college radio station and we ran a, our station ran a syndicated show called Music View that was interviews with bands. That's basically what it was. It's like a half hour interview magazine type show. Mm. And there was an ad in the back of like CMJ magazine, like the, the trade magazine, not the, not the CMJ monthly that they used to buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had like a, a wanted section and Music View was looking for a new producer. And I was like, I love Music View. I could do this show. I sent him a, de- uh, like a, not a demo tape, but, you know, air check tape or whatever of, of me on the air. And two weeks later, I was moving to New York with, and I had no plans of moving to New York before that. Oh, wow. Wow. But you kind of knew that your heart was in music. Right. Yeah. So. Or some form of like entertain, like I, you know, I like movies and, and, TV didn't seem like a, a, a viable option for anything, but yeah, movies and, and music, both very, you know, very interesting to me. So I jumped at the chance to, you know, to do something and not have to move back with my parents. Um, <laughs> Fair. And how long did that last for? Not that long. Okay. The show was sponsored by the Columbia Tape and Record Club. Wait, uh, the, and- like the, the, the catalog 99 cent thing? Yep, exactly. Okay. So, so it was it was sponsored by them because they, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but Columbia House, the way it worked, they had their own pressing plants for CDs, tapes, and albums. So that's like oh, I didn't they know pressed, that. yeah, they pressed their own like versions of those records. Like you'll see it at the like if you look on the back of one of those, it'll say, you know, pressed by Columbia House. And so they had a CD pressing plan in 95. It was crazy expensive to buy like CDRs, but Columbia House would do it and send out, they sent out the CDs to the 200 college stations nationwide. And the, the show ran from, I think the mid eighties up through 95. Originally it was sent out on either cassette or vinyl. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Vinyl. But I think, I guess there was, they had like sort of like 
not seeing as much value in sponsoring the show anymore. So about four months into me moving to New York, they canceled the show and the company that was doing it, like that was their sole source of income and definitely my, my source of my income. So I was out of work like after four months of moving here, but mm. you know, it all, you find something else in New York. That's the way it works. So yeah. It's a hustle here. So yep, where did you go after that? I actually ended up working for that co company again called X Communications because I was unemployed for a while and then there was this other thing that came up. And then my first like sort of real good, uh, decent job was in like 99, I worked for a online city guide. It was called sidewalk.com. It was owned by Microsoft. Of course, yeah. Who, who later went on to make the Zune. <laughs> And so I, I started working there as a assistant photo editor of all things. It was just like a foot in the door job. So I, I had to call record companies and movie studios asking for publicity photos. But I, I started bugging like the music, the, the editorial side when I started working there and ended up doing reviews. And then I became the, the local live music editor. So I had to edit like other writers like little blurbs for what shows were going on in the week so i was you know very similar to like what i do now for for brooklyn vegan but i was doing that in like 99. oh well full circle kind of yeah yeah and then i had a bunch of dumb like dot-com jobs throughout the 2000s including a, a few years at barnesandnoble.com and oh yeah i remember that yeah and um and then how did you like because you were also in the blogger game Sure, the um, blog, the old blogger game. Yeah. <laughs> How did that all kind of come about with Soundbites? Uh, that was your blog. Right, Soundbites was the blog that I did, and that started in 2005. And I, it basically started out with, with, I was working at Barnes & Noble, and it was one of those, back in the day, you had jobs where maybe you had a little more free time than you do now. At least Barnes & Noble I did. Uh, and so to fill that downtime, you know, I'd, I started this blog. I also, like, it felt like to me, there was there was this like group of New York blogs where everybody was friends, and they sort of seemed to start. I felt like they started blogs because their friends had one, and they wanted to have one too. Yeah. And, and they all wrote about the exact same thing, mm -hmm. and I hated half of the stuff that they were writing about. Yeah. And I that I came to music with like at least a slightly older different perspective and so I started from that that's basically like how it started just out of as out of fun and then that turned into a weekly column writing for Brooklyn Vegan a, a few years later and then it turned into like a job job yeah you were their like first full-time employee right that's right I was the first full-time employee outside of Dave who started Brooklyn Vegan Mm -hmm. And now you're a senior editor over Now there? I'm senior editor. It, that may just be because I'm old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, f I feel like you you've, you have a big impact on the, the content and the direction of that blog. Sure, yeah. Like, so. uh, no, we're, we're, now, we're now a four-person staff. Everybody, everybody, you know, does a little bit of everything. So everybody yeah. has their areas of expertise. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I really feel like, you know, you definitely cultivated like a, 
a taste uh, in music with sound bites, and that's definitely like carried over into the Brooklyn vegan world. And you know, you used to do like your kind of it was kind of like a mixtape thing on sound bites that you were doing, and you had different people do covers for, right? Yeah, I I did a I started doing a thing called Summer Fridays. Yeah, where it was just a downloadable mix, an hour long, and new and old stuff. So yeah, that was totally mixtape inspired, 100% mixtape inspired. And those are good. Yeah, mm-hmm. some of them are good. Some of them are still up. I don't know if you can download them or not, but you know that they're on like Mixcloud, and sure you can go to Soundbites NYC and see how I haven't updated the blog in three years. I'm <laughs> glad that it's still up. <laughs> but it's still yeah, up there. Too. Yeah, you know. I, I am too. Like there are blogs where I'm like, I wonder like if I could, there was this post that I could read, you know, and, and so many, so much stuff is gone. Yeah. That's, I've worked for so many dot coms over the last 20 years where everything that I wrote for them is completely unavailable. You know, it's just, it's just wiped out. And yeah. uh, so for that reason, I'll pay the, the, uh, the every other year GoDaddy fee to, to keep <laughs> uh, sound bites going. Uh, so people can read all my uh, typos and, and listen <laughs> and listen to the occasional uh, mix. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to. I didn't do this yet, but I'll have to dig. Like, I definitely did one of the covers for you for Summer Friday. Oh yeah. <laughs> like way back when I was doodling. More. <laughs> that was cool, and I feel like you're carrying it over a little bit. I don't know, like with the indie basement thing. I don't know, like it's still kind of like a cool mix. Yeah, yeah. I love that feature. Oh, yeah. thanks. Yeah. And I should I should say that Jin I'm pretty sure Jinners was the first like blog that I ever knew existed. Oh really? Like, yeah. <laughs> wow. Even like I probably knew that the Modern Age was there, and mm-hmm. maybe maybe I knew about Flux Blog, but but I but yours was definitely the first because it was very helpful as a new as a New York mu- you know music lover because you did show listings. Oh and, yeah, <laughs> and uh, like cool sort of DIY type stuff, and I, I definitely like went to see shows because I found out I found out about them through you. And I also will say that Dave has told me, and I, I don't think that I'm out of turn saying this, that uh, that he was very inspired by by your blog uh, when he started uh, Brooklyn Vegan. Oh, that's nice oh, to wow. hear. Yeah. I, I do remember like Brooklyn Vegan and in the early days, like being, you know, remember when we would have blog rolls on the mm-hmm. side of the blog mm-hmm. and you'd list like all your blogger friends right, yeah. and stuff like that. So that is nice to hear like the feedback uh, from you and, um, and to hear that from Dave, because I feel like it's like, to me, it's almost like another life, <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's hard to have perspective when it's yourself, mm. you know. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I I think I also just like it was a diary kind of too. So mm. not only was I like posting just like, hey, check out this show, or like here's all right. the shows that are coming up that you should check out. Like so many random bits of like my life around that. Blog, sure. So. Yeah. Well, that was that was the thing, you know, about about blogs back then they were they were more about a like you read them because it was a not just about the music but also like the person behind them and it was like it was a person you know it was yeah it wasn't like a giant thing you know Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. i feel like a lot of the blogs have died 
and like you know Brooklyn vegan it's like kind of cool that it's still like indie and like it's still like Dave running stuff yeah it's we still definitely like have a lot of the same voice we definitely have the same color palette and uh (laughs) you know the same logo and uh you know whenever i have to take out an ad it's always like dave handling it so i just like appreciate that so much Uh, what i love is that a that it's independent of course and but b that there's no one at the top saying you know what maybe we shouldn't cover this act but we should cover the new ariana grande single because that's going to get us more clicks it isn't i mean obviously clicks matter but it isn't only about clicks and i feel like some of the sites that are still kicking if you look at the content it's all mainstream stuff and it's all stuff that gets Mm. the obvious click throughs and i really appreciate that brooklyn vegan in particular hasn't gone down that route where it's only you know top tier top 40 kind of acts right you know we we definitely cover more pop than we used to but it's also a uh it's also a result of the the people that like work there and the way things are like you know streaming has really changed the way people listen to music and when i was growing up it was very much an us versus them you know a college radio alternative you know you listen to that you did not listen to top 40 you know you did not you did not put whitney houston and husker do on the same on the same mixtape unless you're rob sheffield um, <laughs> exactly you know but now you know it's it all just comes into the algorithm and it's, it's okay for people to like uh, Ariana Grande and uh, animal collective and Arctic monkeys and, and all the rest, whatever else comes up in a, you mm-hmm. know, um, it's true. And, and while I have not maybe like crossed that hurdle personally, you know, I, some of the rest of the staff are way more open-minded and, you know, I think it's cool that everything is like now on sort of a more, level playing field but yeah i agree like sometimes you see other blogs or websites and you're just like really you're posting about that you know mm-hmm. you're you're posting about uh, that that jet are back and they're about to tour and you're doing that with with no like uh sense of irony whatsoever mm-hmm. no uh, you know pissing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Hey, I, you know, I'm not sure what blog you're talking about, you know, site you're talking about, but yes, exactly. But I agree with what you're saying in terms of like back in the day, everything being kind of segmented. And I guess I, in my head, the first thing I think of is like 90s radio here in New York. And it was like the alternative station, the hip hop station, the, the light FM station. And they're really, I mean, you would never hear, you know, Biggie, for example, on any of the other stations, you knew to listen to it mostly on the hip hop and pop station. But now I feel like in general, because of streaming, and maybe this is a good part of streaming, I feel like the zeitgeist is kind of maybe larger. I don't I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to describe it, really. But it's it's a little less of like um, A, B and C are totally different camps, you know. Well, access to music has certainly changed. You know, and I think that's part of it is like people have more access to just check out something if they want to or like all they have to do is click on this link and they're taken to YouTube or something or Spotify or, you know, all the various streaming, you know, options that are out there that you don't have to pay for. So, you know, I think that has opened up probably a lot of people's worlds that maybe, you know, wouldn't have bought the album or something, but Mm -hmm. now they checked it out. now, Now they've seen it. 
on some commercial or something. I don't know. Like, I just feel like there's just, like, way more access. And that definitely changes, like, the scope of things, too. Yeah. You know, like, uh, in college and stuff, I, I had the, uh, there was this uh, book called The Trouser Press Record Guide. And it was just, like, an indie alternative. You know, you could read about whoever, Throbbing Gristle and R.E.M. And, you know, and there were bands like Throbbing Gristle that I read about. It's like, this sounds amazing. And you just couldn't find the records anywhere. And so you just had to imagine for for years, you know, until I moved to New York and you could go to someplace like Kim's or other music and mm -hmm. there's That's a whole true. giant section, you know, yeah. just just for them. But before that, you couldn't. And, and now, you know, somebody can hear about this and go on YouTube or Spotify and instantly they can hear all of, you know, every record they ever put out, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. yeah. But, you know, you're also sort of overwhelmed by choice as well, which is the exactly. downside. Part of me, you know, part of me misses the hunt for the record, even mm. though I grew up in New York, like not every store had what I wanted. So it was like trying to find it back in the day. But I think on the on the flip side of that, I think there's a little mm. less shame for indie kids or whatever term you want to use to kind of delve into pop. Whereas you didn't really have that as much, I feel like in the 90s and very early 2000s. Now it's a lot more commonplace, I feel. I don't know. Yeah, you look, I mean, you look at uh, TikTok. 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 There you are. <laughs> I thought you were going to say TikTok. So. I, yep. I, was, I was sensing it. I yeah. mean, just, yeah, uh, that band from 20 years ago, Life Without Buildings, one of their, you know, super weird, like obscure, uh, only the indiest of indie people knew about that record at the time now like became like like an insane viral sensation due to TikTok, and that's amazing you know mm -hmm. but yeah and that would that would have never happened before i mean so much music blew up on TikTok. i mean if we're talking about like you know doja cat or megan the stallion or even like really big stars you know um, fleetwood mac or fleetwood mac yeah you know i mean that's and actually a really good clip i mean i don't know that that though the one that went viral with the fleetwood mm. mac song yeah and it actually affects like their their sales and so you know so like it's it's weird to think that um music could have there's like this new discovery platform <laughs> that's like mm -hmm. totally for like these like you know like 10 year olds you know <laughs> and and they're making things blow up and it's all about like like uh different kinds of you know trends that you know i don't completely understand but sometimes i find pretty entertaining you know to watch mm -hmm. it's kind of fascinating in that way how people are discovering music because it's definitely not how i discovered it definitely yeah. i definitely discovered music on mixtapes and because mm. i couldn't afford to like really buy albums or anything so i was very dependent on like what music my friends shared with me and stuff yeah so. that's that's true that i think mixtapes that's probably the most valuable or like part to me too like i this friend of mine toby who i went to college with and we did college radio together and he moved to the west coast and we would trade mixtapes and and mix yeah. cds and and we still like trade suggestions now but i've still got some of those you know tapes and i listen to at home when i use my parents car to sell the tape deck mm -hmm. oh nice <laughs> awesome. that's where the nostalgia comes in yeah <laughs> um so, yeah for me it was like going to tower records and then sorting through like q or nme uh and not purchasing mm -hmm. it because it was the imported price for a magazine and at you know 
I even I think to this day I wouldn't really spend like twelve dollars, fifteen dollars on one issue of a magazine. But back then I would spend an hour reading through it and figuring out who, you know, long pigs are or ash right, or wh- sure. whomever, uh-huh. and then like and then kind of seeking out the music, you know. Um, yeah. I would yeah. I would go to uh, I worked that first job that I had was on Bleecker and Broadway, and on Fridays I would walk down Bleecker to Rebel Rebel. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I miss was, Rebel Rebel. Yeah, which was like your imp- which would they had every import imaginable, and you could you could buy they would get them in on the Friday. They're not split. They're like in England, records came out on Mondays, and mm-hmm. America they came out on Tuesdays. But they would get them on Fridays, and they would just put it out. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> like, I bought I bought Radiohead's The Bends, you know, four days before you were supposed to get it because I I ran down to Rebel Rebel, you know on that Friday in, in 97 or whenever it was, mm-hmm. you know, or, or, or whatever, whatever record and spent, you know, $32 on it that I didn't have to spend, but, uh, <laughs> but I would, yeah, I would leave through uh, select and an enemy and melody maker while I was there. Yeah. I mean, I think I was more like a, I don't know if this is a basic thing, but I was definitely like a spin. Sure. Kind of, well, of course girl. I subscribed to spin. Yeah, and mm-hmm. just finding out about a lot of music, reading that. And I used to be, like, really into art in, like, high school. And I would, like, take pictures from Spin and, like, draw some people <laughs> and stuff <laughs> like that. I wanted to talk a little bit about, like, some of your memories during, like, the blog years, though. Like, because I feel like we didn't delve into that too much. But, like, bands that you were, like, a big champion of and favorite venues and Hmm. stuff like that. Favorite venues. Boy, I don't, you know, I I have a lot of memories of, uh, you know, in the 90s, it was, you went where everybody, like, you went to Mercury Lounge to see the the British band's first American show, mm-hmm. and, and even through the early 2000s. Then they would play Bowery Ballroom the next time they were through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have, those places have special m- memories just because I've seen so many shows there. And, uh, you know, that, you know that when you see a picture and it's got that this is not an exit, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. in the background, yeah. you know, it's Mercury Lounge. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you remember the, I don't, I, I, you'd think that after 20 years, I would know the, the lady's name who did, who, uh, checked your name at, at Mercury Lounge, but I, Jen, do you, do oh, you Maggie. know Maggie? Maggie. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who some people hate just because she didn't take any shit, but uh, you know. I fucking respected that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. I was like, "You do your job." <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like I was. Um, I'm never an yeah. asshole to door people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know a lot. Of, a lot of places in Williamsburg. You know, I I moved to Williamsburg in '98, so it was interesting to see the shift that happened in like 2001 when you used to always go into the city and then little by little like you went to the city less yes mm-hmm. so you know like the old north six Ugh, uh, which is north which six. is now music hall of williamsburg mm-hmm. yeah and uh, galapagos. galapagos yeah 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 and i mean of course all the all the diy venues the 
the corner that had Death by Audio and Glasslands and 285 Kent, all those yeah. places. Cameo. Cam oh, yeah, Cameo that, you know, when it had that weird, whatever that weird sculpture, like hanging sculpture. Oh, yeah, like the yeah. cool, like, lights yeah. uh, kind of fringy sculpture thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I thought that was cool. It was. You know, it was like a statement piece, like Glasslands always had like that statement piece, like mm -hmm. the like, clouds. Yeah, yeah. and it's very recognizable. I like when places kind of do that, put their yeah. stamp on it. You know, Galapagos had that reflecting pool when you walked in. So cool, mm -hmm. so cool. I remember like ordering from any time. Uh -huh, yeah, sure. right. <laughs> you know. So so yeah, uh, for. For people who don't know what any of these places are, like Anytime was on North 6th Street and it started as just a 24-hour like food place. And then in the back, they made a bar and uh, they called it Cameo and they started having shows back there. And I don't even, I think maybe Cameo just took it over. Uh, didn't really eat there too much unless you didn't have anywhere else to go or something. But. Right. Like yeah. I, it changed names. I, it wasn't called Anytime anymore. It was oh, right. Yeah, else. I don't remember. I saw some funny. I saw some funny shows uh, at uh, at Cameo. I, I saw uh, I saw Mumford and Sons there. Uh, uh. Uh, They're in the news recently. Yes, they were. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, as if that show wasn't uh, uncool enough. Yeah, but um, <laughs> I'm trying. It was. They played with. Um, do you remember? There was a band from Norway called Casio Kids. Yeah, of course. Uh, I was actually yeah. into them. Yeah. Yeah. So they played with Casio Kids, and there was a a duo from England. It was like a it was like a Moshi Moshi showcase. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and, Moshi Moshi. Yeah, and so yeah, Mumford and Sons like were first on the build. There was like twenty people there. <laughs> like a year later, they were probably playing Radio City Music Hall or something. <laughs> probably. Uh, I know I did a CMJ showcase I think at Cameo with like Stark. Mm. Remember Stark? That was a group or a blog there was, like, or like these was... two guys. They were like brothers. Oh, oh yeah, Stark online. Um, Matt yeah. and Vin, Vince, Vin. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Okay. And I mean they were kind of oh later yeah era blogging. You know what I mean? A little bit like afterwards. Um, and I had like probably met them at siren festival or something you know right uh -huh. i feel like there are some blogs that kind of started a little bit later on in the aughts but you know it was a cool venue and did you do showcases too like in a bunch of those venues i know like well Brooke, uh i stayed out of the showcase game myself personally though i did i did do one for north side one year like it was like a uh this week in indie through Brooklyn Vegan sort of thing. It, it didn't go very well. You know, Brooklyn Vegan, you know, famous for their for their CMJ day parties and yeah. You know, for for years we were in the Lower East Side, like a pianos sometimes, and yeah, I feel like you've done multiple room kind of stuff. Yeah, we were all we love to do multiple rooms, yeah. and we we've had what whatever. Was it called Public Assembly? Was that what Galapagos became after Galapagos? Yeah, it turned into Public right? Assembly. Right? So, like, we did Public Assembly, and when it closed, we moved to Babies All Right, which was just one room. Those are the days. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah We actually were reminiscing about uh, an old Brooklyn Vegan showcase on the episode we did with Sharon Van Etten last season. Oh, was that the one that... she played? Yeah, because that was... that. 
day was actually my first introduction to her. I saw her at Cake Shop, and then I saw her at upstairs at mm-hmm. at pianos. Yeah. I remember that. I remember that Sharon Van Etten show. Yeah, it was yeah, upstairs. Yeah, I think she was like she just like sat on the like the the table that was normally in that lounge part, you know, and played, or maybe she was like sitting on an amp or something like that. But it was very very like intimate. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it was great. Yeah. She may not have even been mic'd. I don't remember. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, it's a small room, so I feel like... So. Yeah, I used to have showcases there, too, back in the day. Mm. I feel like we should probably hop into Repeat Skip at this point. Okay. Let's do it. And the first album we're going to discuss is... Uh, I feel like this was a game changer back in the day. Franz Ferdinand's self-titled album from 2004... Domino put it out. Bill, you want to get started with your memories of this release? Sure. I have I I have very strong memories of Franz Ferdinand. Mm-hmm. I I wasn't as big on like the Strokes, and you know I liked Interpol, but like that the sort of like Strokes world, not as much. But Franz Ferdinand were definitely like my sort of thing. I was I was a big Gang of Four fan, and mm-hmm. I like Sparks and stuff like that. And they they seemed to sort of combine all that stuff and. I heard them on uh, BBC Six Music, which I used to listen to a lot at my day job. And I feel like they, they came over in 2003 to play like a weekend of little sort of showcases for labels, I, even though I think they had been signed to Domino already. And I believe, I can't say for sure, but I feel like I read about that they were happening on Jinners. <laughs> I, was, I saw your note about it and i was like i just don't remember well, <laughs> that could just be my terrible memory <laughs> their first their first ever like american show was at pianos mm. and they'd only had out uh, that darts of pleasure single mm-hmm. at the time right. and there was about 10 people there <laughs> and they wore like matching shirts and belts I remember and I was like <laughs> I was like wow this is like next level and like I I distinctly remember them playing take me out you know I you know it's like it's like oh my god this is like a hit you know and yeah. they played they played two more shows that weekend and I went to all I went to all of them mm. uh, they played what was it was on the upper west or like sort of midtown west uh, sort of more of a velvet rope club and they had they had the fish tank with with the mermaids behind them. Do you know what oh, I'm talking um, about? There were definitely like cool shows there, you know, in the uh, but the, it was just every once in a while. But they played there and then they played Mercury Lounge with Fiery Furnaces. And I think that's where Alex and Eleanor, and Eleanor, like mm-hmm. met, you know, and they became a couple and they lived in Greenpoint and they were like mm-hmm. the cool Greenpoint couple mm-hmm. a couple years later. So I've. I fell super hard for Franz Ferdinand. And then because of like MySpace, you know, I was like, what do they have in their like top eight? And like, like, oh, who's this block party band? Who's this art brute <laughs> band? And so like, I definitely like discovered other bands from there at the time. This was also sort of like peak early days of Snacky uh, in, in Williamsburg mm-hmm. when the whole like RISD crowd, which included uh, Dirty on Purpose and Cheeseburger, all all part of the Jenner's world uh, <laughs> yeah. back then. Uh, and it was a little crazier and like uh, debaucherous. Um, right. 
but like I have memories of listening to like I'd, I'd had like a leak of the Franz Ferdinand album and we were listening to that at Snacky really loud all the time back then. And then they, they played like a week before the album came out uh, in America, they played a show at North Six and the record had leaked. And like, it, you could not have fit more people into that show. It was like, it was like a hipster prom or something. There were like, <laughs> people were like dressed dressed to the nines um and people were just going crazy for every song and i just i remember like watching the band and they just i think were just taken aback yeah you know they they were not expecting yeah quite expecting that and so i you know that was just but that yeah that was a huge record at the time and it it predated you know blogging except for i guess stereo gum probably existed at that time but I feel like that sort of era that also, you know, like future heads and, and everything else that was going on, like the Dotsons and uh, I, I don't know, who, I don't know, the Caesars and all that, all that stuff blew up like and started like blogs in some ways, you know? That's mm-hmm. true. There was a big like um, British invasion in the indie scene for sure. Yeah. The, the other one that I remember like this, I, Jen, I don't know if you were at this. Were you at the Chick, Chick, Chick release party that was on the boat? Was I on the boat? It was for Loud and Up Now. I can't remember. I feel like I would remember if I was on a Chick, Chick, Chick on a boat. Yeah, I think you would. I mean, unless, you know. There was a lot there of There were boat too shows, many, too many, know? too many sparks, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean that intake. too. <laughs> but um, I, I had like a love-hate relationship with Chick Chick Chick, so it's mm. possible that there was probably a you show. were just like fuck, fuck that. Well, you know, you know their relationship to bloggers back then mm. was like they hated them. <laughs> oh, I didn't, no, I didn't. I didn't realize that, but. Uh... <laughs> well, yeah, no, they don't want anyone up front taking pictures. They would throw oh. water at you if you were doing it Mm. and and sometimes that would like offend me but at one point i turned and then i loved Mm. them (laughs) and then then i was like okay let's let's dance (laughs) yeah yeah i caved also i saw them on new year's eve i i don't even remember how many years ago and i was like okay this this okay i get it now yeah Mm. something something turned yeah yeah, that that show that was on, you know, it's on one of the the boats that they use now for the rocks off cruises mm-hmm. or or whatever. Uh, I'm pretty sure that there had never been a show like like that before. I felt bad for the staff uh, who were not sure. prepared for the I'm sure drug, you know, drug fueled, <laughs> drug and alcohol fueled uh, yeah. shenanigans that were there was like a drop Absolutely. ceiling. There was a drop ceiling on the 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 floor that uh, the show was at and and there were like people on other people's shoulders and they were like trying to tear down the 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 drop ceiling and <laughs> i you know i was i was a little i was you know i'm five years older than most of that that crowd at least and i was definitely thinking it's like oh you shouldn't do that and <laughs> right, right. <laughs> exactly. and i like there was a point like we might die out here tonight but this is pretty fun but uh yeah <laughs> yeah but i i yeah i kind of feel though like Chick, 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 Franz Ferdinand, um, you know, some of the bands you mentioned earlier, Future Heads, it kind of brought a sense of dance and fun back into indie. And yeah. that kind of corresponded with all the, the dance parties, obviously Miss Shapes and the motherfucker party and so on. Yeah. But I feel like 
it was the first time in a while that people kind of felt like amped up to to move you know yeah and it was also an era when you'd go to a dj party and people would be playing current indie music and people were going crazy for it which i don't Mm -hmm. think happens much now i mean i don't i don't know i don't i don't i mean nothing's happened in the last year but but even before that not not like i went to a lot of like indie dance parties but it you know that era of like hot chip and kaiser chiefs (laughs) kaiser kaiser chiefs and uh i don't know new young pony club and and Mm -hmm. stuff and stuff like that you know like there was a real you know people were into it you know you heard and you heard it everywhere or the killers and and that sort of stuff you know it was it was very current whereas now i feel like there's more nostalgia again but but again i don't i don't go i'm I don't go to young people's things anymore. Yeah, I feel like we're a little over the hill. But yeah. I'm glad you brought up the killers because I feel like in a way, even though it's kind of cringy now to even talk about the killers, like that Hot Fuss album was so huge. And I kind of align it in a way with, with this Franz Ferdinand album because hmm. they came out around the same time and they were both like heavy in the, in the sense of, um, I don't know, like big indie hits and things people wanted to sing along and dance to. For sure. Know? I was never a Killers fan in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> but they were better than the Bravery. I'll give you that. So um, <laughs> I was just thinking about the Bravery. Well, we have to have a Bravery episode at one point. The, the, bra- <laughs> the Bravery is a reason, one of the reasons why I actually started uh, Sound Bites was because <laughs> there were so many people like going on about the Bravery. And I remember like, I'll go, okay, you know, there was like, there was no music. There was just shows. Like they were playing a lot. And they played Mercury Lounge, like, all right, I'll go see this band. And and I went and I just sort of stood like mouth agape. Like, and I was like looking at her, I was like, are you, are people really taking this seriously? Like, it was just like the worst thing I had ever seen. And I was like, we need people writing about good groups, not this garbage. Yeah. So that, you know. They were, they were hyped, but it was like, it was almost comical how much hype they got that they did not live up to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Matt, I know we're planning to do like a, um, like an aughts one hit wonder kind of episode, and I was doing research into it, and like literally the bravery comes up in every list. What was even the, I mean, an honest mistake? Was that the yes, hit? Yeah. Okay. And, and I like listened to it recently, and I was like, ugh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't get it. But like, let's go back to the, 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 the good band, Franz Ferdinand. Oh, yeah, Franz Ferdinand. <laughs> I think that I think that record is is you know I don't think they ever like were able to figure out quite how to make a second record that was as good you know they sort of kept yeah. doing the same thing and I I don't know I still like songs off the other records but that first record is just all hits you know yes yeah I feel like that album was like lightning in a bottle and you can't really match that twice I feel and mm. I think it's also kind of a tricky thing because it, it was it was such a huge moment it's like where do you go from there do you change it up entirely? Do you try and imitate the first one? And yeah. I don't think they've ever really found their footing post post the debut, really. Yeah, but I I went to I went to see them play at uh, Warsaw two years ago, I guess. Uh, it was like an mm-hmm. after Govball show or something, and uh, and they were still fantastic. Yeah, uh, you know, to see live. But even if I didn't really care much about the most recent record that they made. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's just like interesting to like note that this self-titled album back in 2004 got Grammy nods. And like, oh. I think like that is just fascinating to me. And I feel like that 
back then there it was starting to you know indie was starting to cross over into that mainstream consciousness mm -hmm. and and so they were getting i mean just like it was nominated for best alternative album remember the term alternative album sure <laughs> like i think they like, still use it actually i'm sure I think so, yeah yeah, yeah. like it seems sounds so dated to me i know, <laughs> like, you know? well everything grammys is kind of yeah. You know, it's in like your, calling something new media or something. It's just like an yeah. old term. <laughs> uh, Jin, in your research, did you happen to note who actually won? Because it wasn't Franz Ferdinand. No, who I won? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> but I just, I, just, I just know because, like, the person, I, the one, you know, whoever it was that I liked never wins. So. Yeah. It wasn't While Jin them. discusses her memories, I'm going to look it up who won. That. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... To me, I don't have too many. I mean, like, it's like funny because I feel like I got into this Brit rock thing a little bit later because I was, um, I don't know, you know, my blog in the beginning was all about like the Walkman and stuff like that. So I right. feel like my musical tastes were kind of a little bit more on that end and not as like poppy stuff. And, mm -hmm. but I, I mean, you can't deny how catchy Take Me Out is. And also, I just, I like Alex's voice a lot. And yeah. I think the songs on this album were, like, really solid, actually. And very catchy. And, you know, they definitely had, like, this style that really worked for them, musical style. And, like, so I I. I was really happy when you chose this album <laughs> to oh, talk good. about. So mm -hmm. I was just like, yes. I have one memory of Franz Ferdinand. I can't remember where it is, but it was somewhere like, I feel like it was like kind of Chelsea or like, you know, that kind of area of Manhattan. And they were having some kind of party with like Kaiser Chiefs or something. And <laughs> I remember taking a picture. Because <laughs> it was 2004. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I, I remember like being there with like Doug from Dirty on Purpose. I don't know if he had something to do with them at the time. I'm trying to remember, but maybe it was like, I don't know, he was doing something, and um, or maybe it was like through Annie Hart of Wasimo, mm -hmm. and there there might have been like a connection there. For whatever reason, I was there hanging out, <laughs> and it was just like chill. What was like your favorite on this album, Bill? I mean, I I definitely like OD'd on on Take Me Out when it yeah first came out because I heard it live first and I was just like waiting to hear the studio version and like I, you could just you just knew that it was going to be the single you know yes. mm -hmm. and it was cool to hear that now and I like that but I think like probably Darker the Matinee is my is my favorite song off that record it's just a little it's a little different you know it kind of moves in some goes in some different directions you know and uh mm -hmm. in the middle of it and stuff and uh it's kind of it's kind of slinky mm -hmm. uh which is how i uh, would be a good word just to describe that record in general but uh i think it was still like a hit but it wasn't quite as overplayed as, as take me out became but there were some good b-sides from that era too mm-hmm We'll have to do an episode of B-Sides and you can go yeah, back and talk episode about is a good it. Idea. <laughs> yeah, no, I also, I chose Dark of Matinee too. And um, yeah, yeah I, I definitely feel like there's like a, a sensualness to the song. And, and then at times when it kind of like speeds up a little bit, I really feel like it captures like a feeling, that, like the feeling that I, when I think about the aughts is like, 
just you're just running around like everywhere and going from this to that and running into this mm. person and that person and and it, I feel like it kind of captures that magic um, of that era for me so I kind of it brought back a lot of memories just listening to it yeah yeah so the album that won alternative record of the year in 2004 was a ghost is born wilco oh that's, yeah. that's okay i guess yeah but and the other nominees were bjork medulla pj harvey uh-huh her and modest mouse uh good news for people who love bad news oh well yeah. i mean franz ferdinand were the only like debut album that's on that list and the rest, yeah you know rest yeah. very very safe grammy type uh nomination so exactly huh yeah, I mean, I don't have too much else to add. I feel like we touched upon all the great elements of this album. I think it, you know, unlike a lot of records from this period that were kind of buzzy, I think it does stand the test of time. Yes. And I, I mean, I love almost every track on this record. I mean, obviously Dark of the Matinee, obviously Take Me Out. I love the opening track, Jacqueline. Ooh, um, yeah. And I think that really sets the tone. And I think... If I were to choose, I might choose Michael as my favorite. Oh. I think just because, I, I don't know, something about that song is obviously very homoerotic. And mm. I just kind of feel like at that time I was single and I was out and I was dancing. And I, when I hear that song and it'd be like something about it was kind of like magical for me. I don't know. But I mean, this whole record, I think, is really great. That's funny because I picked that as my skip. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, but I can see like what you're saying about the homoeroticism because I think uh, I found this quote um, that where Alex was talking about the song and he said, it was one night when me and the band were out with friends from Glasgow and we went to the warehouse dance party thing called Disco X. It was a very debauched night with these two friends with, and these two friends got it together in a very sexy way. Mm. <laughs> so. Yeah. I definitely got it, but I don't know. Some of the lyrics are kind of cringy for me, but maybe I'm just a prude. Mm. <laughs> and my skips would be either cheating on you or tell her tonight. But I mean, I don't hate them. It's just if I'm if I'm if I were to pick one. Yeah, uh, same same for me for for skips. I I chose come on home, but I actually like that song. I like I like the whole record, but you know, like there's yeah. probably a cup. There's probably a couple that are similar to their, you know, to the bigger songs and are maybe slightly unnecessary. But as far as far as like mid mid aughts records go, when CDs suffered from like CD bloat, you know, where they, they filled up a CD just because they could, yeah. you know, this record, I think it's like, I think it's like 43 minutes or something. It's, it's mm -hmm. like the perfect length. So yeah, like, I got no problems with, with anything off this record actually. Yeah, I mean, come on home. I really like um, when he sings like home, and it kind of kind of goes. It's like soft and goes right. kind of up. And it, I couldn't really put my finger on it, but it reminded me of like another band. Um, but I think that's why I gravitated towards it. And it <clears> sounded really nice. It had like a really nice sound, too. And um, but uh, yeah, like uh, tell her tonight and cheating on you. Yeah, I don't know. Tell her tonight, kind of. I think I realized it kind of reminded me of like Hot Hot Heat, who I'm not like that hot about. Oh. So, <laughs> oh, like. I, I love I love that record when it came out, the first one. Yeah, yeah we we discussed that uh, in a recent episode. Oh. It was funny to revisit it's, that one. It's hard yeah. to go back and listen to it. <laughs> You'll see what we mean. <laughs> like, oh, all right. Yeah, I haven't listened to it in a while. <laughs> yeah. I, 
I saw them at uh, speaking of uh, Williamsburg venues that don't exist anymore. I saw them at Lux. Oh yeah. Oh Lux. Yeah. That's like my old home. <laughs> like, I remember, I have so many memories of Lux because I used to like promote shows there. But yeah, I um, saw Dirty on Purpose there once. They were like the house band there for a mm. while. I think that's like <laughs> before I started managing them. They were playing there like every every week or something yeah. like that. But no, like when you have other bands like covering your songs, I feel like that's a level of success that's like really like um like a compliment in a lot of ways. And I feel mm. like Take Me Out was so huge and got covered by so many bands and also like if Weird Al Yankovic uses your song <laughs> in a song like that's yeah, another you're, level <laughs> you're minted you're minted yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. should we talk about the next album sure yeah so the next album you chose was Flaming Lips Soft Bulletin from yeah. 99 so excited you chose that <laughs> so good you want to tell us some of your memories of this one yep I, for, I was working at sidewalk.com uh, this year and I, everything is very, for whatever reason, 99 is very crystal clear to me, like every movie, like, you know, but I remember I got an advanced CD of this album, you know, it just came in like a plain, plain wrapper or whatever. And it was one of these where it was months before it was coming out in, in America. Like I, it came out in England like a month before it came out in America, mm. but it, Anyway, I put it on and, you know, I liked Flaming Lips before, but I never loved them. And something about this record, like, you know, it was a Garden State moment for me. It, it, it changed, it like changed my life. Like I would not shut up about Soft Bulletin. Like that, that whole, that whole summer of 99, which was insanely hot. I remember that. I'd be like, you guys, you, you have to hear this new Flaming Lips record. It's amazing. And they're like, does she, does she don't live, use jelly band? Yeah. And like, like, no, no, this is completely different. Like the band that you had to have four CD players to listen to their album band. Like this one is, this one is like that, but it's just one CD. Like this is I was actually going to mention Zarika when, yeah. when it was my turn, but yeah, go yeah. ahead. And it just, it just like, it, it moved me. Like it, it hit me like on a deep, deep level that I had not experienced like since I was a teenager and I was, mm. I had just turned 30 when, when this record came out. Yeah. To the point where, I mean, I, I went, I went to Rebel Rebel and bought the import the day it came out. And then when it came out in America, I actually bought this record for other people, like out of the blue, I just like show up at the place. Oh, I bought you, I bought you the soft bulletin. Uh, you're oh, going to, you you're going to love this good. record. And then, <laughs> and then I would do like follow-up calls. You know, like, so <laughs> did you listen? Did you listen to that? No, but did you listen past the past race for the prize? You know, like, uh-huh. uh, like you get really got to listen to it with headphones on. You know, yes. And, it is one yeah. of those albums. It you is, need the yeah, it's a headphones album. It might be the last record that like genuinely like changed my life. And I remember they toured for that record. It, uh, it was this special tour. They called it like the music against brain degradation tour where uh, it was it was a whole bunch of bands. It was them, uh, Sebado, Robin Hitchcock, Cornelius, Whoa. and maybe this band called Q and Not You. Oh, oh I love you. Q and Not You. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, now that guy writes for Washington Post, by the oh, way. Oh, is that right? 
Yeah. Oh, He's the music editor there. Because like there was a gimmick with everything with the flaming lips in that era, like it was all it was broadcast in stereo. So they gave you radio Walkmans when you went in the venue. There was at Tramps, which was this venue that was on Twenty First Street, I think, uh, like by Sixth Avenue. And so you got a little radio like Walkman, and so you you had the show in stereo while you were there, which most people didn't use. <laughs> And it was a cooler idea than it than it was uh, in in actuality because I'm blanking on his name, the, the drummer. Uh, he 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 played so much of the music. Stephen Droz. Stephen Droz. Droz. Stephen Droz was not playing drums like on that tour. They just had pre-recorded drums because he he was like playing the guitar parts and and on, like Wayne Coyne had switched to just being a frontman instead of being. A not very good guitarist, you know, and there were lots of like stunts, like he like uh, he would pour blood on himself at that show, and uh, he had that big gong, but but they hadn't quite figured out the live show. And the other problem is, the drums on that record are like so amazing, so big, so huge. You wanted to see somebody playing them live, and it was a bit of a disappointment when when that didn't happen. Mm. they figured it out since i would not shut up about the soft bulletin and i also uh, got to see an early screening of fight club and i would not shut the <laughs> fuck up about that movie either <laughs> so i think people who knew me then knew me for those two things <laughs> for that year <laughs> i loved fight club too <laughs> yeah no i mean who could forget fight club if you've ever seen it like yeah it's a crazy movie <laughs> What about you, Matt? What What are some of your Flaming Lips memories? So, I mean, I have a similar kind of trajectory as I think most people where it's like, obviously, She Don't Use Jelly was a big radio hit and I was familiar with that, but not super into it. And then in college, you know, we did the Zurika experiment with the different sound systems mm -hmm. and different CDs and one ear over here and then one ear over there. And we went in circles, that whole thing. Yeah. And then this came out when I was a college radio DJ. And I have to say this paired with Yoshimi for me are the pinnacle of Flaming Lips fandom personally mm, i kind sure. of have not had much interest in them since then to be honest and i kind of find them to be super like sticky and ridiculous now but i think these two albums are incredible that they put out right around the millennium this album i think is is pretty flawless honestly and i would say my two favorites are the first two tracks race for the prize and um a spoonful weighs a ton mm. um it's just it's so Something about it is just so moving, so pretty, so honest. And yeah, definitely a different direction. And I think a more, I don't know, sentimental direction or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Yeah. I also, same thing. First, you know, first memory is like, she don't use jelly, right? Which is like silly. It was like some kind of MTV hit, you know. They played it on Beverly Hills 90210 in the yeah. Peach Pit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like when you, uh, you know, we've talked about not a surf in the past, but if you only knew popular, you know, you wouldn't have, you know, it's like a diff totally different thing. Yeah. But what I was reading about Soft Bulletin is that his songwriting changed, Wayne Coyne's songwriting changed because everybody in the band was going through all these like crazy things like Wayne's dad had cancer and you know one of the members of the band um, you know almost died in a car crash and there's another member of the band who claimed he uh, had a really severe spider bite 
um, but it turned out to be heroin. And so he really changed like the way he was approaching songwriting to be more emotional and more personal and not so like these kind of like, I guess they were saying like in past stuff, he was doing more like referencing God and I don't know, just like all these like kind of like whatever kind of themes and that were more broad in general. And this was a more like personal album. And, and so that was actually interesting to read for me because I, when you pick these albums, I started to listen to it earlier in the week. So it was like in a more like, I don't know, positive state of mind earlier in the week. And then I listened to it again after that. And I, it just struck me completely different uh, on that listening to it in a in a sadder state of mind and so like initially I picked race for the prize as my favorite but now I'm totally all about the spark that flood (laughs) And, (laughs) and I feel like that's an interesting point to like you know, he took, he was in a, an emotional state writing it and how your state of mind can really like affect how you also experience the album, even an album that you know very well. But they actually have a song on there called Spider Bite Song and yeah. basically talking about uh, Stephen Drozd and he nearly had his arm amputated and he kept mm-hmm. saying that he had the spider bite, but it was actually like an infection from like heroin and that's really like how the song starts, <laughs> yeah. you know? And and then later on in the song, he starts talking about Michael Ivins and, you know, he was in some crazy car crash. Yeah, and then Waiting for Superman was actually about his father dying uh, from cancer. Mm. So kind of like just interesting to see like the state of mind of like the artist as well, like, you know, mm-hmm. when they're writing it. But did you guys have any skips on this album? Zero skips. Yeah, no. I usually find something. Yeah, but I'm kind of the same boat. Yeah. I mean, I guess sleeping on the roof is the the instrumental, but but I think that that's really beautiful too. Like, no, there's maybe Spider Bite sort of feels a little separate in some ways. Like, I feel like either the UK or the American one of the versions doesn't have that song on it, Mm. or there's another song that's called like Buggin. Is that on the ones you have? Yeah, the buggin' one. Um, it's a little goofier. I, yeah, um, but no, there's no song that I don't that I don't like love on this record. And I think the one that I go back to or that that I end up putting on like mixes or whatever is a uh, feeling yourself disintegrate. Like uh, it's a little more in like his like uh, old psychedelic style, but it's it's still very like moving, you know? Like yeah, I know. I just it's just so good from start to finish for me and I just can't fault it like at first I thought I could pick a skip actually I'll tell you that I'll admit that the first times I was like kind of revisiting it I was like but I couldn't quite pick one it took me (laughs) and then like and then like listening to it through the sad lens I was like actually I can't pick any of these songs these are all amazing I would I would say to people who have not heard this record uh, and just know the Flaming Lips from this sort of goofy, very sticky, like live performance that that they do now with the bubbles, which which is cool, uh, you know, yeah. and the and the confetti cannons and working with Miley Cyrus. 
go back and like put this record on and uh yeah. and yoshimi too but i think this is the better of the two yeah and you know just put your put your headphones on or put the stereo on loud and uh you know feel yourself disintegrate a little bit you know it's, yeah is is this the first no skip album on mixtape memories Maybe it's the second, but I can't remember what the it, other one is. I think is. it's the first one where we all agree. Where, where all no... of us say that is yeah. the first That's one. That's what yeah. I meant. Yeah. 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 Yes, yeah. Oh. it is. What? I think so. What do I win? <laughs> <laughs> I did it. You get to come back next season. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought I thought maybe it's like a thank you and good night for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've just hit the ultimate prize. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to find it on cassette and mail it to you. Okay. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Don't laugh, though. Some of that stuff is actually valuable. Like, I look on Discog sometimes, and I'm like, who the hell, how is this worth $200 for this cassette that I threw away 25 years ago? But it is, you know. So it's a strange thing, like, the market of all that. But that's a whole other discussion. Dang, now I have to look up how all my cassettes are worth. There is a market. Yeah. Also, I'll say the the record from uh, from this year, American Head, or maybe it was last year. I I can't remember. I think it was last year. It's really good. Check it out. Okay. Give it a chance. Give it a chance. Okay. I'll check it out just because you said. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of Mixtape Memories, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship. The studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.